Good morning, friends. Today's message is titled, Preach and Teach the Word. My base text is from James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. Now, right off, I need to tell you that the Greek word translated teachers is a very general word. It applied to the rabbis who spoke in the synagogues. It was also the most frequent title given to our Lord in the Gospels. More than 60 times, Jesus was called a teacher. He taught by the seashore, on the mountains, on the plains, in a boat, in a synagogue, and in the temple. He taught large crowds, small groups, and individuals who came with questions. He taught whenever he found anyone who would listen to him. Now, Jesus himself used the term when he said in John 13:13, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. When Nicodemus came at night, he said in John 3, 2, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. A teacher, and yet he never had an educational degree, yet the world was his classroom. Now, James is not just thinking about pastors in the text. This verse applies to everyone, anyone who teaches the Bible, and it's not just pastor and teacher. It's everyone who's called to be a gospeler. So for all of us Christ followers, this text breaks down into a command and a warning. Today we're going to take a look at both of them and then think about how we should apply this text to ourselves today. Now again, my text is not many should become teachers. Now if you know the Bible, you will feel at once the oddity of this command. I mean, teaching after all is a noble occupation and faithful teachers are to be honored by all. Jesus' favorite title was rabbi, which means teacher. The familiar words of the Great Commission in the King James Version reads like this, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So Jesus' final command begins and ends with teaching. So you see, friends, Christianity has always been a teaching faith. Wherever the gospel has gone, Christ's followers have planted churches and started schools. The great creeds of the church were early attempts to teach the doctrines of the Christian faith to new converts. The Protestant Reformation took root among the masses because the leaders wrote an explanation of the Christian faith in a question-and-answer format called a catechism. That word comes from a Greek word that means to teach. So Christianity is a teaching religion. Jesus told us to teach the nations. Uh, We are to teach others the truth of God. And if teaching lies at the very heart of our faith, why does James warn us that not many people should become teachers? Well, let me suggest three answers. First of all, it's because teachers speak for God. Now, when I'm at prison and I'm asked to preach or teach, they want to know, is there a word from the Lord? In fact, it's kind of humbling to be announced this way. The man of God is here to bring a word. Now, no one cares about my opinions on sports or the weather or politics. They do not want to hear me discuss the economy or foreign policy. I mean, they can find experts who know much more about that than I do. Now, the Old Testament prophets spoke of having a burden from the Lord. And so I tell you that every preacher, teacher, every Christ follower ought to feel the same burden to proclaim the truth of God. Now, somewhere I, I heard or read this, it said the best preachers are plagiarists. All they do is tell people what God has said. Now, if that's a definition, I'm all for, for that kind of plagiarism. So when the pastor, the teacher, uh, brings the word, the people expect him or her to explain what it means. 
Now, everything else is secondary to speaking the truth God has already spoken in the Bible. When a preacher, a teacher does it well, when they're faithful to what God has said, then we can truly say that what the preacher, teacher says, God says. And you know something? That's an awesome privilege, but it's also an ob- uh, awesome obligation. But second of all, teachers must practice what they preach. I mean, no one wants to listen to a hypocrite. I mean, if someone says, I, I, I can tell you how to fly an airplane, you'd kind of like to think that they'd actually done it. If they could tell you, I can teach you how to invest your money, you would kind of like to know that they've handled the stock market okay themselves. Or if they say, I can teach you to sing, we want to know that they've taught someone. So if someone teaches on prayer, for example, we want to know if this is all theory or do this, does this person have a growing prayer life? If they talk about evangelism, you know, we're going to listen more carefully if they talk about how they share Jesus with others. If they ask us to give sacrificially, we'd like to know that they're setting a good example. Now, understand, we don't expect our pastors or teachers or ourselves as just Christ followers, the gospelers, to be perfect. That's asking too much of even the godliest leaders. After all, we stumble in many ways. We know these people would disappoint us eventually, but personal integrity matters a great deal. You know, when Paul listed 25 character qualities of good leaders, that would be pastors, teachers, and it applies to all of us Christ followers. It's in 1 Timothy 1 and Titus 1. Only one trait touches teaching directly. In 1 Timothy 3, 3, it says the godly leader must be able to teach. See, a leader's life must back up what they say. Truth matters, but so does integrity. See, the world often understands this better than we do, but the media coverage, fair or unfair, reinforces an important point. Unbelievers expect proclaimers of the word to live up to what we say we believe. See, if we claim Jesus changes hearts, unbelievers are right to expect us to show forth that change in the way we live. And they're right to be disappointed when we fail. Third of all, you know, teachers talk a lot. Now, this seems like a kind of an obvious point, but we need to think about it. Proverbs 10:19 warns us about the dangers of talking too much. Uh, it, it says, where there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is wise. The Living Bible offers this colorful paraphrase. Don't talk so much. You keep putting your foot in your mouth. Be sensible and turn off the flow. You know, that's wise advice for all of us, gospelers, preachers, pastors, teachers, We need to take that to heart because, let's be honest, pastors, teachers talk and talk and talk and talk. I mean, they give sermons and lessons and devotionals. They write articles. They write blogs. They answer email and text messages. You know, in the old days, back when I began my ministry, uh, most of our messages were spread either by putting out a paper copy of what we did And then after a while, cassette tapes and then CDs. And today our messages are streamed live on Facebook or posted on YouTube so people could listen to us 24-7. And all things considered, technology is a great blessing because our words often find a, a much wider audience. But you know something? That's kind of part of the problem, isn't it? The more we talk, the greater our danger. The more we talk, the more likely we're going to say something kind of foolish or unkind. We, we can even misquote a text or say something in the heat of the moment we wish we could take back later. Ecclesiastes 10.13 reminds us, A fool starts out by talking foolishness and ends up saying crazy things that are dangerous. 
Now, those of us, and that's really all of us who use words, need to take this to heart. And then there is this warning in James 3, 1. We will receive a stricter judgment. Now, what we say matters a great deal. I mean, what we say when we speak for God matters even more. Now, consider these words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. I tell you that on that day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, if that applies to everyone, and it does, how much greater for people who stand up and say, I'm speaking for God. Now, if that doesn't give you pause, then you've not taken Jesus seriously. See, we're all someday going to give an account. I mean, no one can escape that final judgment where we will have to answer for every single word we've said. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Every casual comment, every joke, every critical word, every unkind statement, every caustic question, every bit of gossip we pass along, every little white lie we've told, every exaggeration, every insult, every whispered threat, every foolish word on Facebook, or every dumb tweet, I mean, all of that stuff. Yeah, that's hard enough to think about. Now, add every word we speak on God's behalf. Every message we give, every sermon we preach, every class we taught, every question we answered, every text message we sent or every word of counsel we gave or every bit of advice we gave to someone seeking guidance and all the other words we spoke as Christ followers on behalf of Christ himself. Now, what's that going to be like? Well, James calls it a stricter judgment. Now, let me illustrate it this way. I mean, every year, most of us go through the agony of preparing our taxes, and that involves hours of going through records, adding up receipts, trying to enter the right numbers in the right places. And at some point, you come to the bottom line. And after you've done your best, you either owe some money or you get some back. Either way, at some point, you finally have to hit the submit button, and off it goes to the IRS. Now, for most of us, this is the end of it until the next year. But for a small percentage of returns, the IRS decides to take a closer look. They call it an audit. They can look at anything you have submitted. They can ask questions. They can seek more documentation. They can assess further taxes and penalties. Now, here's what I think James is saying. He's saying, if you're going to be teaching God's word, you will be audited someday by the Lord. Count on it. Now, for example, when I stand and preach, I'm submitting the submit button and saying, This is what the Lord says. If you stand in front of a class and you're teaching a Bible study, you're going to click submit because you're saying this is what the Lord says. Now, when you witness to somebody else and tell them about the love of Jesus, you're hitting the submit button because you're saying this is what the Lord told me and I'm now telling you. See, James just wants us to know someday we're going to be audited for every message we've ever shared. Now, I'm not going to be able to hire a lawyer to handle it for me when I stand before the Lord. I'll have to answer for it. Now, a while back, somebody asked me a question. It's like, how much stuff have I ever written or preached? And I, I kind of tried to figure out how many words. I mean, I don't, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, I, I, if I look at 50 plus years of teaching and preaching and just, you know, just the sharing of the good news of Jesus and little conversations, it's, it's millions and millions of words. I mean, that's a lot to answer for. I mean, just writing this paragraph kind of made me stop and ask a few questions like, have I been true to the Lord? Have my words been his words? Have I rightly divided the word of truth? 
You know, when Paul said uh, goodbye uh, to the church in Ephesus, knowing he'd never see them again, he summed up his ministry this way in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. He said, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of everyone's blood, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole plan of God. You know, no finer thing could be said about a gospeler, about a preacher, about a teacher. I mean, it takes courage. I did not shrink back. It takes commitment, declaring to you. It takes continual effort. It's the whole counsel of God. Now, Paul could say, I'm innocent of everyone's blood because he told the Ephesians the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And that's the noble goal for anyone who shares the word of God. Now, I want to suggest these three lines of application here at the end. If we take James 3.1 seriously, what should it mean for all of us? Yeah, some of this is going to be kind of broad. Some of it's going to be specific. But, you know, the first thing I, I, I would say is we, need, we must not rush people into teaching positions. Now, while, while we know that we're all called to be gospelers, sharing of the word, here I'm really going to talk about, for just a moment, about those in public or church situations. I know how it is in a local church. I've been involved in it for a long time. I know how desperate we sometimes get for Sunday school teachers or youth workers or children's workers or Awana workers or small group leaders. But sometimes in our haste to do the Lord's work, let's make sure we do not disregard the Lord's command. Yes, we need teachers. But do not let the, the need cause you to put someone in a teaching position who's not qualified or adequately discipled. That's kind of a hard word, I know. But second, we should approach our teaching with a watchful spirit. A a friend of mine said that when he's ready to preach, I am now studied up, prayed up, purged out, rested up, and ready to teach God's word. I know each and every time uh, my teaching partner and I are getting ready to to teach down at Angola, we, we pray about it. Uh, we feel we're studied up, prayed up, purged out, rested up, and we're, we're ready to, to rock and roll in Jesus' name. I mean, that combination of humility and excitement should mark everyone who stands to teach or sits and talks to someone about Jesus. I mean, James tells us in verse 2 that we all stumble in many ways, and those of us who teach stand in the greatest danger because the tongue so quickly gets us into trouble. The third thing I would say is that we need a new dependence on the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, he was a great preacher of the late 1800s, uh, he had to walk up many steps to reach the uh, preaching platform in the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. It is said that he ascended each step, he would repeat, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit, reminding himself that he needed God's help to teach God's word. Now remember, friends, as the Old Testament prophet Zechariah said in chapter 4, verse 6, Not by might, nor by power, but by by spirit, says the Lord of hosts. i got to tell you, there's no higher calling than to preach or teach or share God's word. I mean, God's willed that by this preaching, this teaching, this sharing, the gospel is spread across this earth, through our communities. And, and when we do that, when we share Jesus, we join hands with God himself, in bringing his word to the world. But you know, that calling brings high responsibilities. So let no one take this process lightly. God bless all the teachers. That's my prayer today. God bless all the preachers of the word. God bless all those who are gospelers, who are just sharers in their everyday 
life. You are doing the work of Jesus. Take it seriously and do it well so that you'll have no regrets. Lord Jesus, help us to teach and gospel others by our words and deeds. And may the Spirit of Jesus fill us so that whoever follows us will become more like you. It's the name of Jesus, the Word. Amen. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.